Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. I wanted to read real quick a text I got this morning, a good text uh, from Linda Doty. Many of you know Rick and Linda. Uh, you might know Rick as he walks around here, looks like Santa Claus. And uh, he's been teaching Sunday school for our, to our kids for decades. And a few weeks ago, um, he had an aneurysm. And it's been week after week of surgeries for him. And uh, I know the boys' class has really missed having him, and we all have missed having him around. But <clears throat> this morning, Linda says, Good morning, Dan, and all. All the glory belongs to our precious Lord Jesus Christ. One of God's children has been mercifully cared for. Rick is recovering. Continuous miracles, huge progress and improvement. If he lasts this week at rehab, look out. Uh, when your wives say you are hard-headed or stubborn, thank them and get them flowers. Uh, we truly love all of you. Cedar Home Rocks in faith and prayer. We're thankful. So praise God for the good report, huh? God answers prayer. We need to celebrate that. And remember to keep, keep uh, Rick and Linda in our, in our prayers. Um, Today we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday. If, if you weren't here last Sunday, you can listen to that message online on our website or just search for Cedar Home Sermons on podcasts on iTunes. And we are talking about the ascension of Jesus Christ, which took place 40 days after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And uh, the, the, this word, the ascension, it refers to the last day that Jesus was ever seen on earth in the flesh. He had gathered his 11 apostles, led them out to the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. He blessed them, and then he was supernaturally lifted up into the air, up into the sky, where he ascended all the way into heaven and was hidden from the disciples in a cloud. This is what Luke writes uh, in Acts 1, 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So through this incredible event, Jesus uh, displayed his power as God, as he broke the laws of nature again. And in this event, he was revealing his divine glory to these eyewitnesses who were staring into the sky. And last week, the question we started to answer regarding this passage was, so what? Okay. Um, how does the ascension of Jesus have any practical implications for my life? And how can Jesus' ascension encourage me in my present trials? And how can it help me in the hardships and fears and obstacles I'm facing? And last week I began to give you 10 reasons why the ascension of Jesus is good news for us. Last week we looked at reasons 1 to 5, and today we're going to continue at reasons 6 to 10. And I'll cap it off there. We could keep going, but we've got to keep moving in Acts. But uh, let's, as we open God's word, let's briefly ask him to help us. Lord, we thank you for this word that you've given to us um, to encourage us, to nourish us, to shape us. 
You tell us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we believe, God, that your word, your Bible is the word of God, that it is God-breathed, and that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So we ask that you would use your word to accomplish your purposes in our church and in our life today. Feed us, nourish us, sustain us, please. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sin, for resurrecting from the dead, for ascending to heaven. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to take these words of Scripture and teach our hearts, teach our spirits, give us faith, strengthen our faith, help us to apply it in our lives, help us to love you, to worship you, and help us to love one another. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So let's review reasons five to one, or one to five, however you want to look at it. Um, the, why uh, the ascension of Jesus is good news for us. One, because Jesus succeeded. He successfully completed his, his mission on earth, okay? We talked about that last week. Second reason why the ascension is good news for us is because Jesus' heavenly glory is back, and it's awesome. Third, Jesus is exalted in heaven at God the Father's right hand. Fourth, Jesus is our great eternal king who rules forever over all authorities and all powers. And fifth, Jesus is the head of his church, and he equips all believers with spiritual gifts to serve his church. And today, the sixth reason why the ascension of Jesus is good news for us is because Jesus mightily advocates in heaven for believers. Okay? Jesus mighty, mightily advocates in heaven for believers. To advocate for somebody means to publicly endorse them or to support them. Uh, that's what Jesus does for Christians in the courts of heaven. Jesus publicly endorses us and supports us before God the Father and all the heavenly host. Scripture says that Jesus advocates, advocates for us in several ways. Here's one way. As our eternal high priest, Jesus forever applies the benefits of his death and resurrection to us. He forever applies the benefits of his death and resurrection to our spiritual accounts. 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So Jesus does not advocate for Christians to God the Father because the Father is mad at Christians. Okay? That's an idea we have to get out of our heads. The Father's mad at Christians, and so Jesus advocates for us. That's not what's going on. Yes, we were under God's wrath at one point when we didn't trust God for his forgiveness in, that he provided in Jesus Christ. But when Jesus bore our sins on the cross, he put our sins to death when he died. He became the sin. He killed the sin when he was killed. And when that happened, he killed our past present, and future sins. 
And Christians, because Jesus killed your sins and because they have been removed for you, God has subsequently declared you not guilty of sin. And the moment, this happened the moment Jesus saved you when you trusted in God for his forgiveness, for eternal life, for friendship with the Lord, to be reconciled with God. The moment that happened, God justified you in his sight. And that means that he declared you not guilty because Jesus took the guilt away. And so instead of giving you wrath, God gave you something else. He gave you his righteousness. He clothed you with his own righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. This is why you, Christian, are no longer under God's condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Love that scripture. And now Jesus sits exalted at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and Jesus advocates for you by forever applying to you the benefits of his death and his resurrection. This is a, an important part of what it means that Jesus is our advocate in heaven. Um, another way that Jesus advocates, uh, advocates for us in heaven is by standing as our perfect defense between Satan and God the Father. Okay? Jesus advocates for us in heaven by standing as our perfect defense between Satan and God the Father. There is much more to this created world and to the universe, known and unknown, than what can be seen with your eyes. We humans think we have it all figured out, and if we can't see it, then it can't exist. And that is the foolishness of man, is what Scripture says. Scripture says there's an invisible spiritual battle raging right now between angels and demons, between a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. Revelation 12.10 says this is what Satan is doing, one of the things he's doing. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for... The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. The accuser of the brothers, Satan. He's the leader of the demons. And this passage says that he stands before God in heaven day and night and he accuses Christians to the Father because the Father is the one with the power. Satan standing before God right now pointing out your sins to God. He's telling God everything you've done wrong, everything you've done right, or not right, sorry, everything you've done wrong. Um, he's telling God how, how guilty we are. God, you're so holy. These people are guilty before you. They're unworthy to be saved. You need to give up on this person. They don't deserve salvation. But behold, at the very same time that Satan is accusing us to God the Father in heaven, we have a mighty defender, Jesus, who sits on the throne and advocates for us. Jesus and the Father do not deny the fact that we have sinned against God. They do not deny that our sin must be punished. They do not deny that we deserve to be condemned to hell. But in this heavenly court, Jesus says, Satan, the battle is already won. It is finished. 
on the cross, I already suffered for that sin. And that sin, and that sin that you're going to bring up in about two minutes, because I know exactly what you're thinking. I already suffered for it. On the cross, I already killed that sin that you're talking about. And that sin, and that sin, and that sin. I paid their debt. They've already been justified. I've already declared them not guilty forever. Satan, your accusations have no eternal sway, and they never will. That's what Jesus says. And isn't that awesome? Jesus is our judge. He's the judge in heaven. That's why Satan is trying to convince him to change his mind, because Jesus is the judge. And Jesus is also our justifier, Christians. And Jesus is our advocate in heaven. And praise God. We've got to remember that, man. When you feel accused by Satan, he's not just accusing you to God, he's accusing you to you. You got to remember you have an advocate whose work is finished. Now this spiritual battle is a real problem for the person who refuses to trust in Jesus. Because God's holy wrath towards that person's sin still condemns him or her. They are under the condemnation. Satan still accuses them too. But does the one who rejects Jesus have an advocate in heaven? No. There is no one to advocate for them before the throne of God. Because by rejecting the advocate, by rejecting Jesus, there's no one to speak up for them or to point to the work of God on their behalf in heaven. And this is why we plead with those who do not trust Christ or haven't trusted Christ to be rescued. Be rescued from your condemnation before God, which is real because of your sin. Turn to this great advocate while you have time. Jesus, be saved by him. Be defended by him. He's the mighty king. Heaven opens its doors to welcome him. Be rescued from Satan who accuses you before God and who accuses you to yourself. Jesus says, turn away from your corrupt way of thinking about me. That's what it means to repent. Turn away from that. Have a metanoia, a change of mind, which results in a change of life. Turn away from your corrupt way of thinking about Jesus and his holiness and instead turn to Jesus and believe he is holy. He is God. He loves you. He died to take away your sin. He rose to give you new life. Without Jesus, you have no advocate in heaven. You have no hope for life after death. There is no hope except Jesus Christ. The Bible couldn't be clearer. Trust in Jesus today and he will take away your sin he will take away your guilt. He will take away your shame. He will protect you and be your defender before the accusations of Satan. Wow. I don't know why you wouldn't want that. Except that Satan blinds the minds of those who haven't trusted in Jesus. And so we pray, God, change our hearts about you. Christians, Jesus also advocates for you in heaven, get this, by praying for you to the Father. Okay, we saw this several times in Jesus' life where he prays for himself 
and for other people, and it's weird. It's like, why, if he's God, why is he doing this? Um, but it's good news. We talked about this in John's Gospel because Jesus is just as much God as God the Father is God, as the Holy Spirit is God. And when God prays to God, God gets what God wants. And since Jesus and the Father are of one mind and of one Holy Spirit, then Jesus isn't trying to change the Father's mind about anything, okay? Rather, get this, this is why prayer is so important and even modeled by Jesus. Prayer is the means by which God accomplishes his will for us as individuals and as a church. It's in the act of praying that God does his work. Because who are we depending on when we pray? God, not us. We're saying, I can't do this. God, only you can do this. Think about all the times that Jesus prayed to the Father while he was on earth. It was not to change the Father's mind, but it was the means by which God poured out more grace and more mercy. And in heaven, Jesus continues to pray for us that our faith may not fail, that we may be strengthened in weakness. He's praying the will of God. He's showing us that's what we pray, want to pray too. He's, he's praying that the Spirit would keep filling the church with power as it takes the gospel to all peoples so that God's name will be exalted on the face of the earth. So Christian, God is for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus is your advocate in heaven as he forever applies the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection to you as uh, he stands as your perfect defense between Satan and God and as he prays for God's will to be powerfully completed in your life to bless you and to bring glory to the name of the Lord. Seventh reason why the ascension is great news for us is that the Holy Spirit now limitlessly helps believers on earth. The Holy Spirit limitlessly helps believers on earth. So remember at the Last Supper, uh, when he was with his disciples, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then Jesus, Jesus continues to tell them in John 16, 6 to 8, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so Jesus is, is, uh, is saying here that because I am ascending to heaven, I'm not only going to be your advocate for you in heaven, but also I'm going to send help to you down on the, in the trenches. I'm going to send God the Holy Spirit to help you on earth. The Holy Spirit will give you God's power to love the Lord and to love your neighbor and to take the gospel to the ends of the world. So as you share my words with the world, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, is he's going to do the work of convicting the world concerning sin and 
the righteousness of God and eternal judgment. The Spirit does the, the work of conviction. We do the work of preaching the message which has been given to us. And in addition to uh, empowering the church for its mission, the Holy Spirit also ministers to us, the Bible says, the Spirit ministers to us in our weakness. This is one of the things the Spirit does for us. Because Jesus ascended, the Spirit came, so that now the Spirit ministers to us in our weakness. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, for as we ought, but the, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Boy, I know many of you have been at that spot in life, and I've been there a few times where you don't even know what to pray for, except you're saying, God, pray for me. Spirit, help me because I don't even know what to pray for. I got hit in the head with a two by four and I don't even know what to pray for. I can't even think straight. That's the good news that because of what Jesus did, we have this advocate on earth too, the spirit who continues to pray for us that God's will would be done in our lives and that uh, we would receive new mercy and grace. Um, even when we are alone, and even when nobody is by our side, the Holy Spirit of God is with us and he's helping us and he's ministering to us and serving us. And when difficulties and hard times come in our lives, he says, I'm gonna help you when you're weak. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And just like Psalm 139 says, this is good news, nobody, Christians or non-Christians, can run away from the presence of God's Spirit. It doesn't matter where you try to hide, how far you try to run, God's Spirit is with you and He's already at the place you're going. Isn't that great? I don't know about you, sometimes I have anticipatory anxiety where I worry about things that are coming up, you know, and maybe I worry about things that could come up, that are, maybe, probably will never come up. But this is a great way to diffuse that when you say, you know what, God is already there. And he's got future grace waiting for me to pour out to me that he hasn't even poured out on me yet. He's already there. And this Holy Spirit is, is the one who gives us supernatural power to pursue holiness, okay? The, the Spirit is the one who uses Scripture to transform us into the image of God. Now get this, God created us, he died for us, he rose for us, he saved us, and he is transforming our lives on earth so that we will be holy like him, okay? It's not so that we can just be who we were before we were Christians. It's a life transformation God is doing in us, we, because we bring glory to God on earth by displaying the holiness of God in us. By God's grace, he uses these weak, broken vessels, and he shines through us in our weakness. And people see the holiness of God through a bunch of nobodies. <laughs> That's the truth. But we're somebody in Christ. Holiness is the trademark attribute 
of God. Okay? It means that God is the apex of everything good, everything right, everything praiseworthy, that he is set apart from us. He's set apart from everything. He created everything. And so he's set apart from every created thing because everything he's made has been warped by sin according to the, you know, Genesis 3 and the fall of humanity. But it's through the gospel work of Jesus' perfect life and substitutionary death for sinners and glorious resurrection that God now invites us, leave that. Leave the kingdom of sin. Leave the kingdom of darkness and enter my kingdom of holiness by trusting in Jesus. You're not gonna be perfectly holy in this life, neither am I. That's what God is doing in us though. He, he's not just saving our lives, our blessing for heaven. He's pouring out life transformation right now by pushing back the darkness in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word. And there's an incredible prophecy that was written by a prophet named Ezekiel about 600 years before the birth of Jesus on earth. And in this prophecy, uh, uh, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel predicted this age in which we now live, in which God is exalting his, his own name by changing the souls and lives of sinners who trust in Jesus. Ezekiel 36, we're going to read this, 22 to 27. Ezekiel 36, 22 to 27, it says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your, all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. This is John 3. This is what Jesus is talking about in John 3, being born again. We need new hearts. We need to be born again. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit that I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who causes us to obey the Lord? Not us. God causes us to walk in his statutes by the grace of God. And it's only because Jesus ascended to heaven and sent the Spirit that our hearts are, are made new by the Spirit through trust in Jesus Christ. What great news this is, you guys, that, that God, that the Holy Spirit with us is not limited by walls or by geography or by physical boundaries. He is with us everywhere we go and because he loves us, God, 
the Holy Spirit is helping us anywhere we are. Anywhere we are. Man, that's an awesome, awesome thing. And by his grace and power, he is transforming us into the holiness of God. All right, number eight. Eighth reason why the ascension of Jesus is good news for us is because Jesus tells us to draw near to his throne of grace in order to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Jesus tells us to draw near to his throne of grace in order to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Isn't this awesome? Jesus wasn't done with the grace and mercy when he forgave us or when we trusted in him. And then he's like, you're on your own now. You got to just make it through this period of becoming a Christian and death when you're going to see me again. He says, come to me right now to the throne of grace and I'll give you mercy and grace. Jesus isn't disconnected from us. He's not uh, disconnected from you and what's going on in your life and from your fears and your trials. Man, even though, I don't know about you, but sometimes I pray and pray and pray and pray and I don't get any answers and I don't, it's like, I'm tempted to think, God, do you even hear me? He wants you to know he's not disconnected from you. He does hear you. He has walked in your shoes. It's one of the powerful implications of the fact that he became flesh. He came and lived among us and experienced the fullness of humanity and on the cross bore the fullness of our sins. And now Jesus is our high priest in heaven who feels deep compassion for us. Wow. When you read through the Gospels, I just love it. When you, whenever you see that Jesus felt compassion for them, it just makes you breathe, man. Breathe. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for having compassion on people like us. And he has not changed. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He feels compassion for us. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says this. Since then, then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen? That's awesome. Jesus sympathizes with us. And so, verse 16 says, draw near to him with confidence in order to receive more mercy and more grace in your time of need. It, the Bible has another verse that says his, his mercies are new every morning. So he doesn't run out. He has a, he, we are limited. He is unlimited. He does not have a limited supply of grace and mercy. He says, come to me every day. My supply for you is limitless. I'm a fountain that never ends. Come to me and I'll give it to you. Man, thank you, Lord. This week I was meditating on this incredible promise of God that I've heard a lot, but for some reason it hit me a different way this week. God says at least twice in the Bible to his people, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. A lot of times I think about just the first part. I will never leave you. Okay, Jesus is with us. But he says I will never forsake you. So what this means is that even though Jesus did leave physically, 
that he ascended into heaven. He has not forgotten us, and his spirit is still with us. But what this means even more is that even though our friends and families and peers and strangers may break our hearts, may turn against us, may stab us in the back, Jesus promises us, I will never do that to you. I will never forsake you. If your faith is in me, I am in you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm God. I don't break promises. I will never forsake you. Oh, it's awesome. That gives me joy. Does that give you joy? Man, that while our broken lives and all of this broken humanity and earth around us is groaning for the return of Christ, Jesus promises us right now, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Wow. I'm so thankful my soul is in the hands of him. That is a promise we got to build our lives upon because that's a promise that eclipses our feelings. That eclipses how we feel at any given time. It eclipses the circumstances we go through in this life. Jesus' word is truth. And we need to remember that, that, that our broken lives the tragedies we encounter, the suffering we endure, that will not have the last word. Jesus has the last word, okay? Jesus has the last word. And he's on his throne in heaven, and he waves at you. He waves you in, and he says, you can't do this thing on your own. The load that you're trying to carry is too heavy for you. You need to take that yoke off and we're gonna replace it with my yoke because my yoke is easy and my burden is light and that's what I want for you. He says, cast your cares on me because I love you. Ask for grace and mercy and it's my joy to give you new mercy every day out of my limitless supply. Praise God, <laughs> praise God. The ninth reason why the ascension of Jesus is good news for us is because Jesus says he's preparing a place in heaven for believers. Jesus is preparing a place in heaven for us. At his last supper, Jesus prayed, uh, let not, or he said this to, sorry, he said this to the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And what great news it is. We've got to remember this world is not home for us. We're, we're not going to be here very long. And Jesus says that his, uh, the, the, God the Father's home in heaven, his house, has many rooms, and that that place is our true home. It's, it's a home we were created for, and it's a home we haven't been to yet. And so if you trusted Jesus, then you will be home in heaven someday, and it's going to feel more like home than any place you've ever known. I, I looked back at the sermon that I preached on on this in, in John 14, and let me just share a little bit of what I, I said. The D.A. Carson points out in Matthew 25 that, that Jesus told the disciples that God's kingdom had been prepared for them since the foundation of the world. Since the foundation of the world, the kingdom had been prepared for them. So if that's the case, then what is Jesus doing right now to prepare a place in heaven for us? 
It's, it's possible, maybe, that Jesus is preparing a place kind of catered to us because he knows us in, intimately and individually. But uh, I think that be, Jesus' bigger message here is that he has prepared a place in heaven for us by going to the cross, by rising from the dead, by ascending to heaven in order to claim heaven for us. In order to claim heaven for us. In the 1800s, uh, this author who I love, J.C. Ryle, is a pastor, he said it this way, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people, a place which we shall find Christ himself has made ready for true Christians. He has prepared it by procuring a right for every sinner who believes to enter in. None can stop us and say we have no business there. He's prepared it by going before us as our head, as our representative, and taking possession of it for all the members of his mystical body. As our forerunner, he has marched in, leading captivity captive, and he has planted his banner in the land of glory. He's prepared it by carrying our names with him as our high priest into the Holy of Holies and making angels ready to receive us. They that enter heaven will find that they are neither unknown nor unexpected. That's exciting. Because Jesus ascended to heaven, you and I who trusted Christ have a place in heaven that God's been saving for us. Praise him. And number 10, the 10th reason the ascension is good news for us is because Jesus will return to earth in the same way he ascended to take Christians where he is. If we look back at John 14, 3, the passage we were just talking about, and then you look at the next verse, Jesus also tells the disciples, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus says that uh, just as sure as he ascended to heaven to prepare a place for Christians, so also he will come back to earth to take us to himself so that where he is, we may also be. That's the definition of heaven. You get that? Being where Jesus is. It's not about this, where, you know, this place, even though it is a place, that's not what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there. And Jesus says, I'm going to take you to be with me. So Christians, you're going to be with Jesus very soon. In God's timing. Your life on earth is going to end either by dying when Jesus will immediately bring your soul to him in heaven, or Jesus is going to return to earth while you're still alive, and he'll take you to himself to be with him forever. And he gave us a number of descriptions, Jesus did, of what that day will look like when he returns to earth. In Luke 21, 25 to 27, Jesus said, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Again, we see the cloud imagery, just like at the ascension. 
in all of these events, it's very clear from the different accounts in, in the, by the gospel writers, will occur, um, they will be terrifying for non-Christians. And it will scare Christians too, because it's going to be so awesome. It's going to be like awesome, like awesome. Right? Like awesome. Not like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's awesome, dude. Not like that. Like, we won't be able to say anything. People, Jesus says people are going to be praying that the mountains will fall on them and kill them. And if you're a non-Christian at that time, what do you have to cling to? Your life? That's it? You fooled yourself into thinking you're a king and this is your life and and this is what you have. And you're going to be confronted by the advocate, the king of heaven and earth, coming in glory, the one you rejected. Because you said that's foolishness. Now in the next verse, though, get this. Jesus says that even though these signs might be scary, Christians should not fear because Jesus' return is good news for us. He says in Luke 21, 28, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Isn't that awesome? I belong to that king. That's what you're supposed to do. The king's coming back. We're the welcoming crew. We're excited to welcome the king back. Now get this. When Jesus had been arrested at the night uh, of his trial, he was arrested in the garden, taken to the court of Caiaphas, the high priest, False witnesses were testifying about him, against him. The mob around him, it says, was slapping him, spitting on him. And this is what he said to Caiaphas. He says, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And according to Mark 13, 27, Jesus will return to earth. And when he does that, it says, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And he's going to judge and punish non-believers for their sin and rebellion against God, which we're guilty of. The difference is that we trusted in the advocate, our Savior. And he's going to gather his church, all believers, so that we may be with him forever where he is. That's great, great news. And this is why some of the very last words of the entire Bible are, come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And as we wait for that, in light of Jesus' return, there's a passage that tells us how to live. A lot of passages. There's one I want to look at specifically. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in, this, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
So it's saying Jesus is purifying his church. We're talking about the holiness of God again. He's purifying all believers on earth by, the passage says, <clears throat> training us through the word, by the power of the spirit, to renounce ungodliness, to renounce worldly passions that we used to follow. Say, so, well, my body says it, so it must be good. So I'm going to go follow my body. To, uh, he, he's, he's purifying us by teaching us Holy Spirit, to live self-controlled lives, to live upright lives, to live godly lives by buying us back, by redeeming us from the lawlessness we used to treasure and by filling us with the supernatural zeal to do good works for the glory of God's name. In other words, as we Christians participate in the global mission that Jesus gave to us to take the good news of God everywhere we go, we should seek to live lifestyles of worship to Jesus and lifestyles of obedience to his holy commands. This is, why you guys, I don't, I don't know. I don't have it all figured out, but I don't know how we become holy if we don't read the word. God can do whatever he wants. There are people who don't have the word. Maybe just, by the power of the spirit, they figure it out and they have a conscience. I don't know. All I know is I got 10 Bibles in my house. 20, I don't know. But I don't, I'm without excuse. God gave me the sword of the spirit, the scripture, so that I might know his will of how I'm supposed to live my life in Jesus Christ. This is the power of God uh, in his own revealed word by which the Holy Spirit applies it to our lives and teaches us. It's not about knowledge as far as knowledge acquisition. It's about submitting ourselves to God's word and saying, God is the king, I'm not. He's the master, I'm not. He's the Lord, I'm the disciple. I wanna be more like him, I wanna be holy like he is. Because of the gospel of grace, step by step, that's what he's doing in my life. None of us have it figured out perfectly. We sin against each other. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need Jesus. But man, may we pursue this holiness that Jesus died to give us. When we look at how the disciples, we're gonna tie it up here. When we look at how the disciples reacted to the ascension of Jesus when they were there and when they saw it, we see that this is exactly what they did. They worshiped Jesus and sought to live lives of worshipful obedience to him. Luke 24, 51 to 53 says this, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So all of us who trust Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit in us, are learning how to worship Jesus with our lives. And praise to God, like Dylan said this morning, we're not saved by our own works. We're saved by Jesus Christ, who is ours through faith. But we don't want to make the grace of God cheap by saying, I'm saved, so holiness doesn't matter anymore. That's not the message of the gospel at all. Read Galatians, read Romans. I am saved, so now for the first time in my life, I am free to pursue the holiness of God without fear of condemnation. 
That's what it means. I can glorify God now in my life. The ascension of Jesus is good news for us. One, because Jesus successfully completed his mission on earth. Secondly, because Jesus' heavenly glory is back in heaven. It's awesome. Third, Jesus is exalted in heaven at God the Father's right hand. Fourth, Jesus is our great eternal king who rules forever over all authorities, all powers. Fifth, Jesus is the head of the church. He equips us with spiritual gifts to serve his church. Sixth, Jesus mightily advocates in heaven for believers. Seven, the Holy Spirit limitlessly helps believers on earth. Eight, Jesus tells us to draw near to his throne of grace in order to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Nine, Jesus is preparing a place in heaven for believers. And ten, Jesus will return to earth to take Christians where he is. And unless Jesus returns first, which could happen, I pray that you'll come back next week because we're going to keep reading Acts and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, which we're going to keep doing until he comes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for all this great news that we have in you. It is the best news that we have heard. It's, it's not on our major news networks. It's not something we're going to read on our phones unless we're reading the Bible. But... <clears throat> Today, God, I pray that uh, some of these points would just hit home for us and that, Spirit, you would drive it into our hearts and our minds and our souls that we are yours. The work is done. You are a defender. You are an advocate. And you do this for the glory of your name, and that is a good, good, awesome, great thing. Lord, we have not reached our future glory yet that we will have one day. We are being transformed into the image of Christ um, into your holiness. And I just pray that you would help us to do that step by step. Train our hearts to desire what you want us to desire. Train our minds to think the thoughts about others and about this life that you want us to think. Train our lips to be quiet when we're about to speak sin and to say words that glorify you and Love others. Help us, Lord, just to take this good news to, man, savor it, celebrate it, worship you, and to share it with our neighbors. And God, we also want to lift up our, <clears throat> our event on Tuesday night here at the church. A very evil holiday in many ways, God, Halloween, where Satan is given too much attention we want to be the light in the darkness that pushes back the darkness, God. Protect our church. Cover the 50 volunteers who are helping here. Bring the lost, and may we just love them. Love them. Welcome them. Encourage them. Give them grace. Just like you have welcomed us and shown us grace and mercy far beyond we deserve. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.